Amen. Thank you, Greg and team. What wonderful worship. Those words, every good and perfect gift comes from you is a a statement of faith. It's a statement of belief in who God is. And those words come directly out of the first chapter of James, which is the book that we're looking into in our current sermon series that we're calling Faith Works. And so I'm excited to dive into how this faith statement that God is good and every perfect gift comes from him impacts us and gives us a perspective of faith. Would you pray with me as we enter into the time of looking into God's word? God, we do thank you that you are the father of lights and that we ask that your light would shine into this room today, that it would shine into our hearts and into our minds through your word. Would you open to us the scriptures in a way that allows us to hear the voice of your spirit speaking your word to us as a word that is specially for each one of us today so that we can know what your orders are, what your call is upon our life, and how our faith can go deeper and our faith can be made stronger so that we can be people of deep character who reflect your love and your light in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is Kurt, and I'm one of the pastors here. A special welcome. If you are visiting with us this morning, we'd encourage you not to rush off too quickly after the service is over. Hang out, have some coffee. You can pick up a a gift card for some free espresso drinks at the uh, info booth out in the lobby, and we have our mission mochas across the lobby there, and you can pick up uh, uh, the espresso drink of your choice, but we love to be able to greet you and find out a little bit more about who you are what brings you out to church today. As I said a minute ago, we are launching into our new series that we're calling Faith Works. And uh, last week we had our introduction and we talked about how in the the book of James, uh, James' perspective on faith and works takes a a lot of different angles. And uh, we talked about three different perspectives on faith and works that we're going to see as we go through the letter of James. And the first one is that faith works. That when we apply faith in our lives, it works to change us from the inside out. And that perspective is what we're going to see in the first chapter of James today as we launch into his teaching on faith. The other perspective is that when we have faith and it produces character in us, it works. It goes to work externally to change the world around us, to do actions and behaviors of love and mercy and justice. And so if we have a true faith in God, his character overflows out of a life of faith to impact the world around us. And then the third perspective that we'll see is that faith works is kind of a a name of what the church is supposed to be, kind of like skunk works. It's It's a place that is empowered by God to live out this faith together in community. And James has a heart for us to understand what does it mean to be a part of true community and what is church really supposed to be? It's not just a a building on a corner or a a gym membership that you have. It's a a place where you have family and you build relationships and your lives impact one another as together we grow in God. So there's a lot of ground to cover today. Just in the beginning chapter, uh, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 2 through 18, and so it's a large section. Uh, But we're going to take it kind of section by section, a little bit at a time, because I'd like to suggest this morning that what James is going to lead us into is that for faith to work in our lives, it all is a matter of starting with the right perspective. And God's desire is that our faith in Him builds character in our lives. 
If you take your Bibles and you turn to the letter of James, it's in the very, very back of the Bible after the the book of Hebrews, and we'll be in chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. And he starts with this audacious statement saying, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now let's pause there for a minute. What do you mean consider it joy? Not even just jo- pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. I mean, this is totally opposite of the way that we are conditioned to think as human beings, isn't it, right? I mean, we assume that we should desire comfort and ease and, and, and happiness. And if we have difficulty and trials and, and tribulation in this world, that means that something is wrong. It's not a good thing, it's a bad thing. So how is he suggesting that we can take this idea of joy in trials? Well, first of all, I'd like to suggest that James' view of life in this world is a realistic view. He is not blowing smoke. He is telling us like it really is. Life in this world is difficult. Life is going to be hard. It's not if trials are going to come, it is when they come. And you don't have to be alive very long on planet Earth to know that life has many trials of various kinds. And no matter how much we wish life was easy and a bed of roses, something is going to happen that is going to challenge your perspective on what does it mean to be alive in this world and where is God in the midst of what is happening around me in my life. Life is difficult. The second thing that he likes is suggesting to us then is knowing that trials will come. It's not if, but when. How will we choose to view those trials in our life? Our attitude towards going through difficult things in life, he is saying, is a choice that can be impacted by the faith that we have in God. How do we view life when we have financial difficulties? Are we assuming that God's blessing has left us because we're having difficult financial circumstances? How do we view where God is in our life when we have a relationship that begins to crumble and fall apart? Do we blame God for that? Do we feel like God is, is, is abandoning us and leaving us because our relationships are having difficulty? How do we view life when we continue to struggle with our own choices and the consequences of our own sin and struggle to get back on a path that that leads to a place of health and wholeness and always continue to backslide and feel like no matter how hard we try, we just can't get it right? Where is God in the midst of those challenges? When I was a younger 20-something guy and I went to school in Los Angeles, I was living at home in Phoenix with my parents and moved out to go to school at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena. I made a lot of road trips back and forth between Phoenix and Los Angeles on Interstate 10 through the desert. And there was one road trip where I was heading out from Phoenix to Los Angeles. I was about halfway there, out in the middle of nowhere in the desert, and sure enough, I get a flat tire. We got to pull over to the side of the road, and my immediate reaction is, Great. Now I've got to get out of the car in the middle of 110 degree heat in the desert and I've got to change this tire. I mean, that's the normal reaction, right? So I get out and I open the trunk and I'm starting to pull out all my luggage to get down to the spare tire and putting it all in the dirt on the side of the road and get everything out. And God, through the Holy Spirit, comes and... Hey, Kurt. Yeah? You might want to check your attitude. 
And I started to think, what am I doing here? Okay, yeah, I didn't want to have a flat tire. Is this a good situation? No, nobody would choose to have a flat tire. But even in the midst of a difficult circumstances, why should I ruin my experience by having a a negative attitude? What if I recognize that this is an opportunity for me to spend some time alone with God? And as I began to see my attitude begin to change and I felt the presence of God with me, I began to say, okay, this is something that I can do. And I changed the tire and I put everything back in the car and I got back in the car and the rest of the road trip, even though it had been difficult, I found this deep sense of abiding peace, even though it was a difficult circumstances. And what God was teaching me in that moment was this question of what is my choosing, how, what kind of attitude do I choose when I experience the flat tires on the road of life? Because flat tires come and they go, and whether it's our actual car or it's the vehicle of our family or the vehicle of our career, flat tires will come and we will experience difficulties. And the question is, do we have the opportunity to see those challenges as a place to meet God and allow him to use that for our good in spite of the negativity of the actual circumstances? What happens when we experience a flat tire on the road of life and how we choose to to uh, have a perspective of where God is in the midst of it is what leads James to tell us that there is a pattern to how God grows our character through faith. He says that if we choose to see these difficult circumstances, these trials as opportunities for testing our faith, and we are perseverant through those difficulties, what we will see on the other side is that we will grow in our maturity and our completeness, and we will become whole, healthy people in God. Of course, when I got to California after that road trip and people asked, how was the trip? And I told them about it and I said, it was a great trip. And I got a flat tire and it was awesome. And I had this deep sense of peace. Everybody was like, what? You're crazy. I mean, it made no sense to them, right? Because that is not how we react. And I, I, I'd like to suggest that the other thing we have to recognize is that for James, testing of our faith here isn't like taking an exam where we're going to be graded. It's not about passing the test and, and, and having God sitting up in heaven as the, uh, uh, the, the great teacher, curator, who's going to judge us on whether we pass the test. It's more this idea of we need to exercise our faith. We need to be stretched internally in our relationship with God in order to grow our faith muscles and our spirituality, just like we grow physically and we stay healthy by exercise and eating right. If we want to grow spiritually, we also have to have our faith tested through training and practice and sometimes difficulty. Like many of the people in our church right now who are training to run the half marathon, you have to over and over again practice running longer and longer distances in order to build up your perseverance and your endurance so that someday you can eventually make it to the end of the race. The word in Greek that James uses here is Hupomene, or perseverance, or endurance, which is a feature that is added to the character of a Christian through the crucible of testing. 
It's not a solitary one-time act of faith where even in the midst of a difficult circumstances we choose to, to believe God is good, but it's a deeper component, one of the scholars said, of character that manifests itself over a period of time and in many and varied situations. It says Eugene Peterson had once said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It means active steadfastness, staying power, constancy, a determination under adversity. And all of this is with an idea of hope behind it, which gives us the the trust and the belief that after whatever is coming, God will be able to see us through. It's the attitude of David in Psalm 71 when he says, Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. James says, let perseverance finish its work in you, that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, James here is a clarion call to live out our true purpose in God that is revealed through his son, Jesus Christ, even in the midst of life's difficulties and challenges. The word for mature is teleos, which is the end goal or the the purpose of a thing. It's it's the the reason for being. It's the, the end product of life. It's why we are here. And this is a key term for James. Whenever it's used of character, it implies that God is a part of whatever we're going through and whatever we're struggling with so that he can form in us the ultimate purpose for why he has called us to be in relationship with himself. And ultimately, it's not just for this life alone, but it is for the life to come. Everything that we experience and go through now is preparing us and building God's character in us so that when we live with him in eternity, we will get to experience the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. It's also important, I'd like to suggest, that this is not some unachievably high standard of perfection. It's not that we have to, again, get an A on the test in order to make it into heaven or to earn God's favor. It is a growth process. Rather, we become persons of integrity and wholeness. That's why he uses this word completeness in talking about what the end purpose is. People who are single-minded in their loyalty and devotion to God in a long obedience in the same direction experience the putting together of the broken pieces of their life to be people of integrity and wholeness. And life takes on a meaning and a value and a satisfaction, not because of the external circumstances, but because we are becoming who God has created us to be. If you go all the way back into the Old Testament, you look at the, Bible, the biblical roots of this idea of perfection. The Bible's understanding of perfection never was that, that idea that everything is always perfect to the letter of the law. It was this idea of being whole and complete. The word shalom was a word of peace and wholeness. And What James is suggesting here is that God's desire for you and for me is that we experience in this life a moment of maturity where we experience the wholeness of completeness that we have been put together and that life makes sense and we are happy and satisfied because we are happy with who we are. And too often, many of us struggle to be happy with who we are because we think that if we have just a little bit more, if we were just a little bit different, or if we had just a little bit better looks, or if we had just a little bit more money in the bank account, or if our car was just a little bit shinier, or if it just had a little bit bigger engine and could go a little bit faster, or if I could rise one more rung on the career ladder, then I would be happy. Then I would be satisfied. 
But the problem is that a little bit more is never enough. You see, the Gospels talk about how maturity is the imitation of God's character in our lives. The development of the character traits of God within us is what becomes possible through our relationship with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, you too will be called sons of the Most High. The complete person is the one whose character is fully formed according to the character of Jesus and who reveals the true character of God in all of our relationships around us. In this view... Trials and challenges are opportunities to test our faith and to grow in God, to stretch and to experience a deeper calling of God to be people of deep happiness and satisfaction, not because of our external circumstances, but because we have been saved by God through Jesus Christ and everything that we could ever want or need, he has given us in him. Joy in trial is counterintuitive to our world's wisdom, though. It's a, it's a paradox, and we don't often see things that way in our world. And if you try and tell other people to have this perspective, they'll look at you like you're crazy and that you've missed out on some of your meds this week. That's why James goes on to say it takes a different perspective to see life in this way, and it's not something that we can come to in our own strength and our own wisdom. It takes a divine appointment and a divine wisdom in our life. Picking up his teaching in verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. You see, the key ingredient that James is telling us here, in order to be able to have this perspective and to allow God to shape our attitude in the midst of difficult, trying circumstances, to find joy in the midst of every circumstances, is to seek the wisdom or the Sophia of God. True wisdom that sees the world as it really is can only come from God himself who created it and who knows this world like no one else. God's wisdom is different than the world's wisdom. We need wisdom in order to cope with these trials, and wisdom provides a clear view of our situation from God's perspective. And it's only through God's eyes that we can see difficult circumstances as something to be positively viewed. Wisdom as the gift of God logically leads to our asking him for that wisdom. How many times do we actually spend time asking God to give us his perspective and his wisdom when we're in the midst of a difficult and trying circumstances? God gives generously, James says, without hesitation and without finding fault. Why would he say without finding fault? Well, some of the scholars suggest that because he goes on to say that you should ask, but don't doubt, because if you doubt, then you're not going to get what you ask for. And, and, And he's wanting us to understand that when he says you shouldn't doubt, he's not saying that you shouldn't have questions, that you shouldn't wonder. All of us have intellectual doubts sometimes. That's part of the struggle of faith. And Greg, in youth ministry, oftentimes in high school, when kids begin to ask hard questions and they they struggle and say, maybe I'm having some doubts, there's often guilt and shame that they go through, right? And we have to help them to see, you know what? Part of growing into faith and having it become your own faith is is to ask the hard questions and to seek the answers for yourself. 
So James is not saying that you should have a blind faith that never questions and never has any intellectual doubts. Rather, what he's saying is you should ask God's wisdom to reveal to you this truth and not put your faith in other things at the same time to find your happiness. That's what it means to be double-minded. Or better translation in the Bible is to be double-hearted. It's to have your heart in two places at the same time. To say, yes, God, I believe in you and I believe that you're good and I I trust that you're going to bless me, but I'm also going to go over here and seek my happiness in this way as well. You see, when when we divide our allegiances between God and anything else, we are divided internally and our character is split and we become disintegrated personally and we live lives of disintegration. And that's why Paul or James says we're blown here and there like by the waves and we are unstable in all that we do. How many of you have known people who've lived lives like that? Maybe you're a person who's experienced that in life. Over and over again. People who go from one job to the next, always thinking that the next money-making scheme is what's going to get them over the top. Maybe it's people who go from one relationship to the next, never being satisfied with one person, always thinking that the next relationship is going to be the one. Maybe it's uh, you fill in the blank. What is it that leads us as people to always be unstable, looking for that next thing that somehow is going to be the answer to our happiness and to to feeling like we're living the, the blessed life? You see, what James says is God has already revealed the answer. What we need to do is humble ourselves and come to him and put our lives in his hands and fully trust that he, like no one else, is able to lead us to a place of happiness and joy. And that doesn't come through external circumstances or through wealth or success. It only comes through the peace that comes from knowing that our lives are in God's hands. You see, James says that God desires an honest heart that sometimes may be doubts and struggles, but is willing to persevere through the hard times, even when doubts come, to put their faith and trust in God that he can turn all things for our good and for his glory. Scholar David Nystrom, who wrote a commentary in the book of James, said God loves us and forgives us, but he also desires us to mature and to grow. This development follows an often hard road, but it is a road that must be followed with tenacity and resolve. God grants what we need in order to sustain us on our journey if we will only ask and ask with a single-hearted devotion that, while it sometimes falters, is essentially true to itself. James goes on to give a real life example of how this kind of faith plays itself out in our lives. Then, like now, money was often a sign or a belief that God was blessing people. And so he says in verse 9 believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Since they will pass away like a wild flower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. You see, then as now, the Bible clearly tells us that one of the greatest obstacles to having this kind of faith in God through Jesus Christ is money. 
We too live in a capitalistic, rich culture where money and bank accounts and possessions are, are, are the things that, that grab our attention and our desire and that we often spend our lives working for. But what James is saying is that if you don't have money and you live in a culture that values money above all things, then you might be tempted to think that God doesn't love you as much as somebody else, that God isn't blessing you because you don't have a lot of money in your bank account. You don't live in in your own house. You don't don't have the fancy cars and all the things that suggest that, that you have made it in this life. And if that's you this morning, James is saying, You should take pride in your humble circumstance because you have the ability to see clearly what is most important because you rely on God for your sustenance every day. And if you are in the category of having a flush bank account and lots of resources and all the toys that you could ever want, you also have to be careful to recognize that that wealth and that that security that comes from being in a society that that values money and and all of the, the accoutrements that go along with it can become an obstacle to your faith in God. Because if that money were to disappear, if, if that wealth were to go away, what would be left? Would you still have that same faith and reliance on God? Or are you being tempted to be double-hearted with God because of your faith in your resources? You see, money isn't the problem. It's not bad to not have money, James is saying. It's not bad to have money. It's about our attitude and our perspective on God's blessing in our life. And what does it mean to be a blessed person by God. If we cannot be satisfied with what we have, we will not be satisfied with just a little bit more. Because true satisfaction doesn't come from more. It doesn't come from money. It doesn't come from worldly success. True satisfaction comes from being a complete and whole person in our character. And that can only come from our faith in God. This is the truly blessed Person. That's why James says in verse 12, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, James is saying, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are successful or struggling, no matter what you're going through, faith begins by taking an eternal perspective. What God has revealed through Jesus Christ is that the momentary trials and difficulties of this world pale in comparison to the good things that God has planned for those who love him. And that if we can have faith that that this life is about challenging ourselves to grow and be stretched and to trust that God has our good in mind, then we can find meaning and value in every experience this side of heaven. Even through some of the most difficult and trying circumstances like the loss of a loved one or or the loss of our health and some of those chronic illnesses that that ravage people and, and become difficult to manage. And we have several people in our church who are going through those kinds of things right now. And you know who they are. When tempted, no one should say, he says in verse 13, that God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted When they are dragged away with their own evil desire and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
See, what he's doing here is he started out by saying there's a, there's a pattern to faith and how God grows us through faith and, and, and testing our faith and leads to perseverance. And if we, if we choose perseverance, perseverance leads to maturity and completeness. But if we, if we don't see that perspective and we allow ourselves to be tempted to not believe in God and to, to have our hearts go after other things for our happiness, then our temptation gives way to sin. And sin is a failure to, to hit the mark. It's a falling short of God's ideal. And, and all the things that in life that, that, that are sinful are, are not just bad because they're, they're, there's a law against it. It's because it takes us away from God's desire for us to experience the wholeness and the completeness that he has designed for us. Sin in life disintegrates us. It breaks us down. It, it harms human relationships. And it ultimately leads to death. And so the anti faith pattern is that temptation leads to sin and sin leads to death. And, and, and that death doesn't always have to be a physical death. It can be a, a daily and a weekly and sometimes a yearly living death where we live with fear and anxiety and frustration and dissatisfaction, wondering where God is and why do all these bad things keep happening to me? But God says there's another way. There's, there's a, a pattern where if you can put your trust in God and you trust him with your life, you can overcome this pattern of sin that has broken into the world because sin will derail us from this growth process. However, these imposters for our happiness will always lead us to disappointment. And the negative consequences of sin, James says, doesn't come from God. God doesn't tempt us in order to, to test our faith. That's not what this is all about. Temptation comes from someone else, and there's a foreshadowing that evil is afoot in this world as well. And we have to be sensitive that there's an enemy out there who would like nothing more than to see our disintegration and our ultimate destruction, to pull us away from faith in God, and to tempt us to putting our faith in other things for our happiness. But that's why James says in verse 16, to conclude his teaching on this section and to round out the ground for this kind of faith. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. The whole section of James that we've just looked at and went through, this pattern of how God uses our faith to develop in us a perseverance that leads to character, is all based and predicated on the faith statement that God is good, and that he desires nothing more than our welfare and our happiness. God doesn't desire to to poke us in the eye to see if if we'll bite back. He wants us to trust that his desire is to see us through every circumstances, to experience his blessing because of his love and his care for us. We are his children, and he delights in us. That's what James is saying here. God is the father of lights. And and to have this kind of perspective on our life, to have this kind of faith walk in our relationship with Jesus Christ requires us from the beginning to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is a good God and he loves us with all of his heart and that he works everything for our good and for his glory. Reminds me of that call and response that you, many of you are probably familiar with, where one person says, God is good. And the response is, all the time. All the time. And then the response is, all the time. 
God is good. Let's do that one more time. God is good. And all the time, God's goodness and his faithfulness to us are demonstrated in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the whole meaning of the cross, that he gave his life to prove to us that he doesn't want to harm us. He wants us to experience his joy and his freedom that that overcomes this pattern of sin and dying and death that has come into the world that we struggle with every day. But if we, if we can have faith that God is good, then even the most negative, difficult circumstances can be seen to be used by God for our good. Every week, as staff gets together and we not only pray for the requests we receive from you, but we share prayer requests with each other. And we pray for each other and we encourage one another in our personal lives as well. And some of you probably heard that our own uh, Katie Razek, our uh, director of elementary children's ministry, her husband had a construction accident and was hit in the eye with a box cutter and lost the use of his eye. It sliced his eye open completely and, and now he's not able to see out of that eye anymore. And the day it happened, it was, it was this intense, traumatic experience. And we got the call and uh, Cindy and I drove up to the uh, hospital up in Seattle where they rushed him to, because they couldn't treat him in Auburn and they had to send him to the, uh, a, a level up of medical care. And because everything got rushed and we, we, we went through the day, it was this awful, tragic situation. And we, we prayed and we listened and we you know, comforted her through that. Well, it was a couple weeks later when we were sharing our prayer requests in staff meeting. She said, you know, after all of that happened and we got through the whole situation, uh, I had to leave my car at the hospital in Auburn and rush up to the other hospital and uh, my dad went to get my car and come to find out that it wouldn't start. They had to take it to the mechanic. And the mechanic said, it's a good thing that you brought this car in because it was a death trap. The mechanical problems with this car could have caused the car to go out at any time and everybody in the car could have died. They could have lost their life. And so in retrospect, Katie is sharing in her staff meeting, she's saying, I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I know that my husband Mustafa would say, I would rather lose an eye than to have you and the kids lose your life. And if God's, in his wisdom, allowed this to save you guys from dying in a car crash, then God's goodness can also be seen in using this tragic situation for the good of our family. See, that's the eyes of faith. I mean, no one would want to lose an eye. No one would choose to lose an eye. But, but men, any one of you, if, if you knew that you could save your family from death in a car crash by losing one of your eye, who wouldn't choose that? And so in retrospect, when we get to heaven and we look back at the ways that God has been at work in and through all of the difficult circumstances in our life, I believe what James is telling us is that if we can have the perspective of faith, that we trust that God is a good God, even the difficulty, even the things that the evil people do to try and overcome God's goodness in the world, God has the power to overcome that with his love and his power through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so this whole first section of James is saying, if you want to understand how faith works, you have to start by understanding how faith works in your own heart, in your own life, to give you a heavenly perspective on how God can use everything for your good and for his glory. 
May that be your perspective on life from this day forward. And if at all we struggle, we can come together and we can encourage one another in the faith. That's what it means to be a part of a faith community because we can talk about those things and we can encourage one another and challenge one another to continue to grow as we put our faith in God. Would you pray with me? God, as we embark on this journey of faith works, we ask that you would continue to give us the courage to face those inner parts of our lives where maybe we have been living disintegrated lives, where we have been living double-minded or double-hearted, where we've been putting our trust or our hope in other things beside you to bring us happiness or satisfaction. God, forgive us for those things and help us to put our faith fully in you again today. Give us the freedom to trust you with all that we have and all that we are so that we can discover within ourselves that deeper place of wholeness and maturity that you desire where we live your character and become light to those who need the good news of your son Jesus in their lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God is good all the time.